Under the Stark Law, it is important to understand the differences between ownership and compensation arrangements and direct and indirect compensation arrangements. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. I'm Bob Wade, and I am your host. Today, we're going to be talking about Stark's differences between ownership and compensation arrangements. And this is important because when the Stark Law is implicated, as we have discussed, there are various exceptions that will have to apply. And some of the exceptions apply to ownership arrangements, some of the exceptions apply only to compensation arrangements, and some of the exceptions apply to both. In fact, when you look at all of the regulations, there are nine exceptions that apply to both ownership and compensation arrangements, only three exceptions that apply to ownership arrangements, and 28 of exceptions that apply to compensation arrangements. So clearly, compensation arrangements make up the vast majority of the exceptions that apply to Stark. And the first concept under ownership or compensation arrangements is to determine whether or not the financial arrangement, again, when I say financial arrangement, that embraces both ownership and compensation arrangements. So it's collectively. So if the financial arrangement is directly with the referring physician or it's indirect, and I'll get into indirect uh, a little bit later as it applies to both indirect ownership and indirect compensation arrangements. But clearly, if I am receiving compensation as a referring physician directly from a hospital for the performance of services, I have a direct compensation arrangement. However, if if I perform medical director services for a hospital and the hospital pays my group practice the money for my medical director services and I receive that compensation from my group practice as a W-2 employee, then I do not have a direct compensation arrangement uh, with the hospital. I have what could arguably be an indirect because the money passes from the hospital to the group practice and then from the group practice to me as the referring physician and the physician who is performing the medical director duties. Now, one of the things I do have to point out here, and I believe I've covered it briefly in, in another episode, 
is this concept called stand in the shoes. So let's stick with that same example, that I have a hospital that pays a group practice for medical directorship services that are provided by a referring physician. If the only arrangement that that physician has is a W-2 employee arrangement with the group practice, then it could be deemed to be an indirect compensation arrangement. However, if the physician has an ownership arrangement in that group practice, then Stark has what they call stand in the shoes. So the physician is deemed to stand in the shoes of their group practice and create a direct compensation arrangement between that physician and the hospital. So again, using that same example, hospital pays a group practice and the physician has an ownership interest in that group practice, and arguably, but for the stand in the shoes, it's indirect because the physician's not contracting directly with the hospital. But Stark created this stand in the shoes theory, so now the physician will stand in the shoes if the physician is an owner of that group practice. The physician will stand in the shoes of the group practice, and then you will have to analyze that compensation arrangement under one of the compensation exceptions under the Stark Law. So first I'll hit on compensation and then I'll dive into ownership or investment interests. As I discussed under the first episode under the Stark Integrity podcast, the Stark Law uses this legal term called remuneration, or remuneration means any benefit. So as long as a physician is receiving a benefit, could be as small as a logoed pen uh, from a hospital, that is deemed to be a compensation arrangement. So if there's no ownership interest, like a stock uh, position, but I'm receiving something of value from a designated health service entity, then that, in a broad perspective, is deemed to be compensation. So Stark, when it's defining compensation, it does not go into great detail uh, of that definition because it uses the definition under remuneration, remuneration meaning any benefit. So again, any benefit being received is deemed to be compensation under the Stark Law. It's a little bit more complex, however, with respect to ownership or investment interests. The Stark Regulation has quite a few pages defining what is an ownership or investment interest. And from the regulation, it says that it includes but is not limited to, and that's typical lawyer speak, includes but not limited to, stock, stock options, partnership shares, limited liability company memberships, as well as loans, bonds, or other financial instruments that are secured with an entity's property or revenue or a portion of that property or revenue. So even if the physician is making a loan to a hospital, if that loan is secured by the hospital's assets, then that loan is considered to be an ownership or investment interest. And as we typically would, would look at ownership or investment, stocks or uh, LLC membership interest, those are also clearly defined as ownership interests under the Stark Law. Now, in typical Stark Law fashion, not only does the Stark Law define what an ownership interest is, but it also defines what an ownership or investment interest is not. 
And so here's just a very brief uh, list. So first off is if you, if the physician has an interest that arises through a retirement plan that is offered by the DHS entity or stock options or convertible securities that the physician receives as compensation, uh, that those are not deemed to be ownership interest until the stock options are actually exercised or they're converted into securities. So a lot of times when a physician is receiving stock options, uh, those are not deemed to be ownership interest yet, uh, but they can turn into an ownership interest once the option turns into a stock through the exercise of the option. Now, the option may have some value, and the value would be compensation under the Stark Law. So you have to analyze those issues very clearly and making sure that you define it as to whether or not a stock option unexercised is deemed to be compensation, or once the stock option is exercised, then that is deemed to be an ownership or an investment interest. Another uh, exception to ownership or investment is an unsecured loan subordinated to a credit facility. So if a physician would give a loan to a an entity and that loan is subordinated, uh, then, then that would not be deemed to be an ownership or investment interest. They've also accepted under the ownership this under-arrangements theory. Now let me just give you an example of under-arrangement. An underarrangement would be, by way of example, if a hospital was purchasing an MRI, the technical MRI component from a joint venture. So we'll call that the MRI joint venture. And if the, if the physician had an ownership in that MRI joint venture and was selling the MRI technical service to the hospital, then the purchase of that technical service by the hospital would not be deemed to be an ownership or investment interest. However, it would still be a compensation arrangement. Uh, so that would have to be analyzed under compensation arrangements. And because, as we'll talk uh, you know, further, it would be prohibited for a referring physician, uh, as defined by Stark, to have an ownership interest in that MRI center uh, because of the ownership exceptions uh, that would not uh, apply to that type of arrangement. Another exception to the ownership and investment interest definition under Stark is if a physician sells equipment to a hospital and the physician receives a security interest in that equipment, then that would not be deemed to be an ownership interest in the hospital itself because literally the physician is taking the security interest in the equipment and not the hospital itself. So there would be a sale of equipment with a physician having a security interest in the equipment that's being purchased by the hospital. Another exception is what they call a titular ownership or investment interest. And this would be what I would say is in name only, that I in name only own that stock but I do not have the right to receive profits, dividends, the proceeds of a sale, or, or a similar return on my investment. So if I have a, an interest in name only, that would not be deemed to be an investment or ownership interest. And the last one that's an exception would be if an, a physician employee has 
an interest in an employee stock ownership plan, otherwise known as an ESOP, that is qualified under the Internal Revenue Code in its uh, Section 401A. So if a physician has employee stock, stock ownership under an ESOP, that is not deemed to be an ownership interest under the Stark Law. So those are your exceptions to the general rule of an ownership interest in the DHS entity. And before I move on to indirect ownership interest, let's assume that a physician owns subsidiary A. And there's a subsidiary B, and both of those subsidiaries are owned by a parent holding company. So we'll call that the parent holding company. If a physician has an ownership in subsidiary A, and that subsidiary uh, is otherwise owned by the holding company, then the holding company and the physician are joint owners of subsidiary A. That does not mean that the physician has either an ownership interest in, in the holding company or an ownership interest in subsidiary B. The only thing the physician has an ownership interest and is entitled to receive any benefits from is subsidiary A. So when you have a chain of corporate entities, you'll have to look and see whether through the downstream of revenue or ownership interest that the physician could receive an an interest in cash or other equity that is coming from an entity. So you really do have to look at whether the in the chain of financial arrangements, a physician can receive a benefit through ownership of the various entities in the chain and just dual subsidiaries through a holding company with this example. The physician would not have a, an ownership in subsidiary B, only subsidiary A in this example. Now, an indirect ownership or investment interest exists if you have an unbroken chain of ownership interests. So you have entity A owning entity B, owning entity C, owning entity D. And if a physician has an ownership uh, by way of, of example in A, then that would be a, an unbroken ownership chain through D. So if, if uh, subsidiary D is generating a margin of profit, the margin of profit goes up through the chain. So whoever owns D uh, would actually receive the benefit and it would, would work all the way up through the chain. So typically what I would do is I would draw a bunch of circles and lines on a sheet of paper and try to see uh, through these circles and lines of what type of financial arrangement do I have with the various entities down to the referring physician. And sometimes, like in a group practice setting, a physician may be an owner of the group practice and simultaneously be a W-2 employee of that group practice. So you'll have a compensation arrangement as well as an ownership arrangement. But under the indirect ownership or investment interest is defined under Stark, it has to be a chain, an unbroken chain of ownership only investments uh, through the chain. Uh, And the physician would have to receive the benefits from the entities down through the chain. So again, it's, it's best to graph these things out to make sure that you can understand how the entities interrelate and how they relate to the referring physician. Now I'm going to turn to compensation, and as I indicated, compensation means any benefit, and if you have a direct compensation arrangement, 
then you have to make sure that you fit within one of the compensation or the the ownership and compensation exceptions. So you have to fit within one of the compensation exceptions. Now there's also, uh, as we discuss with indirect ownership, there could be an indirect compensation arrangement. And this is a little different. Uh, as I indicated in the indirect ownership arrangement, uh, it's a chain, an unbroken chain of ownership arrangements. With an indirect compensation arrangement, it will be a chain of financial arrangements as long as at least one of the financial chains is a compensation arrangement. So you could have like uh, from A to B an ownership, B to C an ownership, C to D a compensation arrangement, and then the physician has an ownership in entity D. Now you have a, a compensation arrangement that's within the chain, and instead of this being an indirect ownership arrangement, it becomes arguably, except for what I'm going to say a little bit later, it becomes an indirect compensation arrangement. Now, in order to analyze whether or not you have an indirect compensation arrangement, you have to look at the closest compensation arrangement to the referring physician. So in the entire chain, that could be uh, the physician could have a direct compensation arrangement with that entity, the closest entity, or it could be removed from the referring physician. But ultimately, all these chains lead up to the designated health service entity, like a hospital, the DHS entity. So you look at that closest compensation arrangement in the chain, the closest one to the referring physician, and you have to determine whether or not that arrangement varies with the volume or value of referrals the physician is making to the DHS entity, or if the individual unit of compensation varies based upon the physician's referrals. So does that compensation in aggregate vary, or is the unit of compensation in that compensation arrangement in the, that's closest to the referring physician, does the compensation vary uh, based upon the, the referrals that the physician is making to the DHS entity? So quite literally, you draw out all of these chains, look at the closest compensation arrangement, determine if the aggregate compensation arrangement varies with the volume or value of referrals. And as they've looked at, you know, how does this vary, you want to make sure that there's a correlation between the, the referrals being made to the DHS entity and the compensation. So the way that they've described this, if there's, is there a positive correlation between two variables when one variable decreases as the other variable decreases? So if, if my volume of referrals decreased, does the compensation decrease? Or if my volume of referrals increases, does my compensation likewise increase? And if you meet that test, then you do have an indirect compensation arrangement. And then you would have to fit within the indirect compensation arrangement exception under the Stark Law. Now, the indirect compensation arrangement exception, what I just described to you was the definition. If you meet the indirect compensation arrangement definition, then you have to look to the indirect compensation arrangement exception. 
And so you'd have to look at whether the compensation that is received by the referring physician or their immediate family member is fair market value for the services that are provided and is not determined in any manner that takes into account the volume or value of referrals that the physician is making to the DHS entity. So in the previous, when I was talking about the definition, you will look to see whether or not there is a correlation uh, between the referrals and the compensation, and that's the compensation arrangement that's closest in the chain of compensation and ownership interest to the referring physician. Then you can turn to the indirect compensation arrangement, and then you have to determine whether or not the compensation is deemed to be fair market value and does not is not determined in any manner that takes into account the volume or value. Now, it still can vary with but it does not take into account or not determined in a manner that takes into account the volume or value. There's other requirements, like it has to be in writing, signed by the parties. You know, it's typical with the other exceptions. But since I was laying out an indirect compensation arrangement, I wanted to uh, reference the exception that would apply if you meet the definition. Now, here are two caveats. First off, don't forget about the stand in the shoes. If the only intervening entity between the physician and the DHS entity, like a hospital, is the physician organization, and that arrangement between the physician organization and the physician is ownership, then the physician can, has to stand in the shoes of the physician organization and now has a direct compensation arrangement. The other issue to be uh, to be knowledgeable about is the under arrangements. These under arrangements are deemed to be compensation arrangements. They're not deemed to be ownership or investment interests. So now I have the three Captain Integrity punch points. Punch point number one is you need to draw out the various financial arrangements between the DHS entity and the referring physician to determine whether in the unbroken chain of financial arrangements you have compensation, investment, or both a compensation and investment and determine whether or not you have an indirect ownership arrangement or indirect compensation arrangement. Captain Integrity punch point number two is you have to look at the downward ownership in the chain. And usually if you have a physician that has a downward ownership where the revenue or the equity return is coming up to the physician, that usually is the death knell of the arrangement, that you cannot have that unless you're going to meet the group practice definition and also the in-office ancillary services exception. But if, you, if you're too far into the chain of ownership arrangements, you probably will violate the Stark Law. And then also uh, Captain Integrity punch point number three is remember under compensation, compensation broadly defined is any benefit. So again, to recap the three Captain Integrity punch points is number one, draw out all of the connected financial chains between the DHS entity and the referring physician to determine what type of arrangement you have. Number two, if you have a series of ownership arrangements, most likely the arrangement will not be stark compliant because it's very challenging and difficult to meet the ownership arrangements if it's indirect. And then punch point number three is compensation broadly defined is any benefit. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, 
the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.